that Jesus Christ, when, he, when we receive him as Savior, that God sanctifies us. And this is something that comes at the very beginning. And, and as well, Jesus continues to enable and encourage us and, and strengthen us to walk the spiritual life. And we also know that Jesus is also at the end of our spiritual life, that we will come together, that we will see him seated on the throne. We will worship him together. We learned about our victory in Jesus Christ. We learned about our freedom in Jesus Christ. And, um, and we also talked about what it means to, to walk or to, to, to live according to the spirit, to live according to our completeness in Christ, putting to death the deeds of our earthly nature. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, showing compassion to the powerless, as well as holding the powerful into account. And so today we're going to be looking at Paul's concluding words as what, at what does it mean to live out our completeness in Christ. And so these are kind of Paul's final uh, exhortations as we think about what Jesus has done uh, through his death and resurrection. So I'd like you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. And shall we stand in reverence for the word of God? So this is the word of God from Colossians. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person." The Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. And so Paul, he wraps up this book of Colossians talking about how every follower of Jesus Christ is to be complete in Christ, both inside and out. That we're to have both a, a dynamic inner life as well as an outer life that expresses the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing we want to look at is the inner life. And in verse 2, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So to me, this is not just the idea of prayer, but it's talking about really the personal life, keeping our personal life, our personal spiritual life in order, maintaining the depth of the spirit and peace and in thankfulness. Um, as I think about this, um, as many of you know, Rita is out of town. She's caring for her mom in, in Toronto, and she left me at home to, uh, uh, to kind of make sure that, well, make sure I don't burn the house down or something like that in the next three weeks. But one thing she did before she left was she's kind of trying to train me to make sure that I take care of things at home. And one of the things is she has this plant in our bedroom, and every morning she opens the shades, you know, so the light comes in, and then closes it at night. Very simple habit. She's been doing this for a year now, and, and I never notice it. But she reminded me, say, this is very important, honey. When you wake up in the morning, you make sure to open at least that one shade that's right in front of that plant, because I don't want to come home and see the plant dead. And in fact, before she left, she actually tested me. So she said, okay, so this week before I go to Canada, I'm not going to open the shade, so you better open it every, every day, you know. And 
actually, you know, she's a morning person, so she gets up, and then when I get up and get ready, and then I leave the bedroom with all the shades down, and she's like, no, honey, you gotta, so she keeps training me, and, because uh, I, I just don't notice it, and uh, so now, I'm actually, she, she says, okay, you gotta go, I'm like a little kid, she says, you gotta go open the shade and close it, make sure it's this shade, make sure it's open this much, I'm like, okay, I got it, hon. So far, I've been pretty good, I think I only forgot once. <laughs> At least I only remember forgetting once. So, but the plant is still alive. And, um, but you know, this is a habit, right? You have to let the sun shine on that plant every day, keep that plant strong and growing. If you miss a few days, you may not notice it, like the plant doesn't, you know, hopefully, you know, it doesn't die right away. But if you do it, if you don't open it for a longer time, you'll start noticing that the leaves are starting to turn brown on the edges, things like that. And you'll, it'll indicate that things are not right, you know, inside. And, and I feel that that's like the spiritual life. That, that's being complete in Christ takes a maintenance. It takes this, this daily habit of opening the blinds, of allowing uh, the Son of God to continue to really shine uh, in our lives. Um, uh, uh, being complete in Christ involves the, the habit of really praying. He says, pray always, uh, confess, you know, confessing our sin to God, uh, uh, opening our lives to the Word of God. Otherwise, we, we will start um, dying inside. And it won't show at the beginning, but, but, but we'll know that, hey, something's not right inside. The, the, word, the, uh, the scripture says, devote yourselves, which means continue like steadfastly, be strong, persistent, keep doing this, keep opening the blinds. That's joined by this idea, he says, be watchful. Now, be watchful suggests this, this idea of alertness, of, uh, of watching out for the enemy. Uh, the same word is used when Jesus was in the garden and he told the disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And so this is this idea that as we you know, continue to be steadfast in prayer, continue to be looking at our inner life, what we are doing is we're, we're being alert because we don't know where the attack of the enemy uh, will come from and when it's going to come and from what direction. And what I wanted to do was show this clip that illustrates what alertness means. Now, it's a clip about hockey, and I know many of you may not be familiar with how hockey is played, but if you watch the clip very closely, you can probably still identify you know, what the problem is. So watch it very closely, and you probably can see. Well, we'll, we'll see if you can catch it, okay? So we'll go and go ahead and play it. notice what's going on here. <laughs> this is what's going on. <laughs> I'm sure that this goalie is very, very good, and he is very fast, and he's got all the equipment, but he's taking a drink while the, the offense is, is coming straight at him with the puck, okay? So he's not even looking at what's going on. I mean, they're actually, fortunately, they missed the net, which is amazing, but, you know, while they're you basically have all these uh, offensive people, one defender, and he's, he's taking a drink. Now, this is, this is like so typical. I look at this and say, you know, you have all the equipment, 
right? He's got, he's got more pads than anybody else, right? Because he's got these big things on his arm, big things on his knees, so that he can really cover this net. He is very fast. That's the training. It's like you have to move as fast as you can when the puck comes. Very talented to know how people can, you know, make the puck go up and shoot in every different direction. But the issue is, is no matter how equipped he is, no matter how talented he is, no matter how fast he is, um, if he's not alert, it doesn't matter, right? If he's not alert, all this stuff means nothing. Um, and I feel like that's how Satan works. You know, we're, we're complete in Christ, right? We're fully equipped to deal with all the attacks of the enemy. Um, and, and, and we have everything. We, we, we've been growing in Christ. We know how the enemy attacks. We know everything about what it means, how, you know, the different temptations will come. But if we are not paying attention, then we're kind of like this guy, you know, getting on like, like this, while Satan is coming at us with whatever he wants to come at us. And I, I feel like that, that's what prayer, prayer, the spiritual life, helps us to, to really be watchful, to be alert, to, to realize that, um, that, that, that Satan can come in any way, in any, any form, and, and really at any time, and, and hit at us and attack us you know, from this side of the net, this side of the net, this side of the net, from way down and to right in front of us, to behind somebody else, to all different, different ways of trying to, to, to knock that thing into the goal and, you know, cause us to sin or cause us to, to, to fail or to stumble. And, um, and, and God is saying, uh, Paul is saying, uh, what we need to be is alert. We need to be in prayer. We need to make sure that, that we are continuing to open the blinds every morning to let the light of Jesus fill us, to, to prepare us, to, to strengthen us through his word so that we can say no to ungodliness and, and unrighteousness, that we can resist the devil, that he will flee from us. Paul says this is, this is our part. This is on us. Jesus has given us everything that we need to fight Satan, to fight the enemy, but yet we need every day to be watchful, to be thoughtful, in prayer and how, um, how the enemy attacks. And finally, it says also to be thankful. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is like the fabric softener of the spiritual life, okay? Go with me on this. Okay, detergent, see, Rita is teaching me. Detergent, <laughs> detergent is vital because detergent cleans the clothes, cleans all the linen of all the spots and stains and the germs, but the fabric softener makes everything smell nice, right? It makes everything feel soft and huggable. And it's like, I, I feel like, you know, that new shirt, when you put it on, it feels good because uh, the sheets, when you get in bed and you feel the sheets and the smell, and it's like, oh, it feels so good because of the fabric softener. And I, I know, it's, humor me. Um, <laughs> thanksgiving in prayer is like fabric softener for the spiritual life. Now think about it. The spiritual life can be hard. The spiritual life is toilsome. It's hard work living for Jesus in a broken world. It's hard work uh, watching for that enemy who's prowling about like a lion. And it's easy for the spiritual life to become a drudgery, to become a, a burden or a routine. But it is thankfulness in prayer that adds the sweetness. 
to the spiritual life. When we, when we go back in prayer and we're reminded of, of how good, man, how good Jesus is. If, if we spend time in our prayer, not just talking about all of our struggles and all the things we need of God, but just say, man, God, I'm so thankful. Easter is coming. Jesus is risen. And even though these, these struggles are getting me down, God, you already, I'm forgiven. I'm not battling for uh, my, 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 my soul, you know, whether it's going to go to heaven or hell. My soul's going to go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. And, and, and so the struggles that I face are not a matter of me going to hell. I don't even have to worry about that. I praise God. But there's some people in this world that are battling and they're thinking like, you know, this is, this is it for me. And we're like, man, my destiny is all made up. It's all determined by Jesus already. And I didn't even have to do anything to do that. Uh, God did it for me. That's why I celebrate. That's why uh, 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 we, we love Jesus. That's, that's, that's what makes the, the, the spiritual life so sweet. And so we say, you know, um, the inner spiritual life is watchfulness, persistence, is thankfulness in prayer, uh, nurturing that inner life. And the third thing about the inner life is a genuine heart for the gospel. If you look at verse three, he says, in the same time, Pray for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now again, this request of prayer is outstanding because of where it's coming from. Paul says exactly where he is. He's not in the Bahamas. He is in prison, right? Now, if I were in prison and I had the opportunity to send out a letter, and I could ask everybody to pray for me, what would I ask for? I would probably ask the church to pray for my release, right? Probably, that's what we would do. We'd say, oh, let's have an uh, all-night vigil to pray that Paul will be released from prison. But here, his, he doesn't even mention, like, pray that I'll get out of prison. He, he says, pray that God may open for us a door for the gospel. His concern in prison is to release the gospel, not himself. And I think that that's really powerful. He asks them to pray that God will open a door, not open the door of the prison, but that God will open a door for the gospel. And, and that's, you know, when we think about it, in Philippians, he was like, you know, I, I'm in prison and the gospel is going forward and more people are bold to share the gospel. So it's like he almost, not to say he doesn't mind being in prison, but that's, being in prison is not his main concern. What he's thinking about is, I just want the gospel to go forward. I just want to make it clear. I just want to, to pray, uh, just pray that whenever I have the chance to speak about the gospel while I'm in prison, uh, that I can make it clear, that I can speak in the way I ought to speak. Now, clear is not like, um, not like, okay, I can make sure that I have every single argument as to why people need to hear the gospel, why they need to know the gospel, or why they should receive it. It's a, the, the word clear means to make manifest. It just means, all it means is, is that people can see the gospel, that they understand it. He's saying, basically, when I finish talking, all I want for them is to be able to know how to receive Jesus as Savior. 
He says, I don't have to worry about you know, arguing. I don't have to worry about having the, the greatest um, arguments of how to, I don't have to knock down, oops, knock down all their arguments. I just have to make sure that they understand Jesus. And I think that that's really important for us, that we, we say and say, you know, especially in Easter time, as we have this opportunity to share the gospel, can we say, like, if somebody gave us, like, one minute of uninterrupted attention, would we be able to share the gospel with them clearly so that when they walked away, they would have enough information to become a Christian? Like, if they just give us one minute, like, we're, we're standing at the bus stop and somebody says, tell me about Jesus. Can we do it in a minute? Could we do it before the bus? We, see, we know the bus is coming in five minutes and he's going to take off. Can we say it in one minute, enough information so that, and clear enough so that they will know exactly how to receive Jesus as Savior? I mean, that's what, that's what Paul is saying. Just make sure that I can make it clear. That's all. Don't need to have all the arguments necessarily. Don't need to have all these things. They have their place. But if we can't share the gospel in just a minute or two minutes or three minutes, um, the arguments don't help. And so this is saying, I want to make it clear. And what's interesting as well, he says, as I ought to speak. Ought to is the idea of being obligated or literally being bound, like bound with a chain. And I just find this so ironic that he is in chains in prison. Well, at this time, maybe not in chains yet, but he will be in chains in prison. And um, yet he says, these chains, these physical chains don't mean anything to me. What means the most to me is that I am chained to the gospel, that I am bound, if you want to say imprisoned, by this gospel ministry, that, that, that no matter where I go, the gospel is going to go with me. I cannot leave home, I cannot go to work, I cannot go on vacation without the gospel being bound to my, uh, to my leg as I walk around, that that gospel is gonna be like, not this big ball and chain, but just this big thing around that says the gospel, Jesus, and it's gonna be with me all the time. I'm obligated, I'm bound to it. And that's really Paul's inner heart. That's the inner life. It's a watchfulness and persistence, thankfulness in prayer, genuine heart for the gospel. Then he talks next about the outer life. The second part of being complete in Christ is what does the outward life look like? He says, walk in wisdom, with, towards outsiders, making the best of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, Paul says, making the best use of time. Now, this literally means to buy out something, to purchase something completely. It's kind of like if, if, um, if your stocks are, if stocks are down, right? Like, like the stock market is way down and you have lots of money sitting around, what are you gonna do? You're gonna buy like crazy. I'm gonna buy out as much as I can of let's say, you know, whatever stock, if you're a stock person, or if you go to the store and you're like, whoa, what I love is on sale. You know, like I love uh, toilet paper or something. And you know what? We never have enough toilet paper. Toilet paper is now, uh, you know, it's 80% off, oh. And you say, there's a, there's a 10 item limit. 
So if there's a 10 item limit, you don't just buy one or two, you buy 10. Because you're like, this is like 80% off for toilet paper, and I don't have to worry about toilet paper for the rest of the year, you know? And so it's like, this is the idea of making the best use of time. To say, when you have the opportunity, which is now while you're alive, um, go for it. Share the gospel. Speak about Jesus. Live for Jesus in every moment because you've got to buy up the opportunity now. Don't just take one opportunity if God's giving you an opportunity for 10. If God's giving you an opportunity to buy out the whole stock for sharing the gospel, we buy out the whole stock. We are not afraid. I know a lot of times we say, well, um, I want to maintain relationship. So I'm a little careful about being too bold in sharing with my friends at school or at work or with neighbors because I want to make sure to build that relationship. And no, that's good. I think that's very important. If the Spirit is leading you to say, I'm going to build that relationship to share the gospel, if the Spirit is leading you. But I think we need to ask the question, is it the Spirit leading me? Or is it my own fear leading me? See, that, that, that's the thing. Is sometimes we get a little confused. We always say, oh, it's the Spirit leading me. And then we end up working at a place for three, four, five years, building that relationship. And then we get a new job opportunity. We jump forward and go, oh, my gosh. I, I forgot to give the opportunity. Now, the last, now that I'm leaving, you know, the last five days, I'm going to share the gospel with everybody in the office. Well, that, that's, that's waiting too late, right? That's saying, well, I spent five years, God gave me opportunity to share the gospel, and maybe he wanted one year of building relationship and, and four years of sharing the gospel, and instead, we spent five years of sharing the gospel and one week. I mean, five years of building relationship and maybe one week of sharing the gospel. And we say, oh, well, I'm building relationship. We go to school and we have our friends and we build relationships. I'm going to build relationships with my friends because I want to make sure that I'm ready for the gospel, that they're ready for the gospel. And we, we spend a year with them and then we find out, the, the, we find out from those that they're saying, oh, we're moving. Uh, my parents, we're moving to, uh, to Texas next year so I won't be in school uh, next year. And then we're going, oh my gosh, there's only five more days of school left. I have to share the gospel in the next five days. We spent a year building relationships so that five days, we, we finally can try to fit in to share the gospel. Maybe we should spend a couple months building the relationship and then the next five or six months sharing the gospel, speaking of Jesus. And so the, the, this idea of, of maintaining a relationship is good when it's spirit-led, okay? When the spirit is leading us to maintain relationships. But I have a feeling that the way that we maintain relationships for the gospel is a lot longer than what maybe the Spirit intended. That, that God really wants us to take more opportunity, more time to really share the gospel, to really be speaking about Jesus with our coworkers. With, and you know, maybe yeah, they won't like us, but maybe you never know. Maybe next year we're going to be gone, or maybe next year they're going to transfer us to a new department, or maybe next year they're going to uh, 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 scatter us and move us to different places, and I'm not going to have an opportunity to talk with this person ever again. And I spent so much time building relationship and never got a chance to really talk with them about Jesus. And we would talk with them and find out, oh my gosh, they're open but they're leaving. So again, 
we need to, to, to take, this is this idea, make the best use of time. Really buy out those opportunities to say, this may not be the last time that I can speak with them about the gospel, but maybe I need to start earlier. Maybe I need to start getting the conversation going right now. I've known my work coworkers for the last year now. Maybe it's the time right now to really start talking about the gospel and talking about Jesus Christ and letting them know why I'm so excited about Easter and, 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 and let the next few years be the continuation of that conversation as we move on. And so this is, again, uh, uh, the idea of, of really uh, pushing out and making the best of opportunities. Paul talks about walking in wisdom, and this is, a, why, this is the way we act, and God is saying, hey, you know, God's going to give us wisdom for how we walk, and I I just want to give a, a little push here that the idea that wisdom, the wisdom of God at times cannot be planned. The wisdom of God just comes when we act. And see, that's the thing. We're trying to get the wisdom of God to be able to share the gospel and to, to act all the right ways and to, to do the right things. But, I have a, but for me, I really feel like a lot of times it's a matter of, of really doing stuff, really talking, really sharing the gospel. That's when God starts giving the wisdom. That's when God's wisdom really starts being activated. It's not as much in the preparation I mean, the preparation is reading God's word, praying, and, and preparing, but the wisdom comes when we start acting, when we start going out, when we start talking to people, when we start being bold in, in, in reaching out and loving others, and God starts showing us, this is how I want you to love that person, and you're like, oh, whoa, the wisdom of God hits me right now as I'm reaching out to care for this person, as I'm reaching out to, 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 to love this person that, uh, that I normally don't even talk to. And so these are things, when we talk about the wisdom of God, they come when we act. Uh, talks about the speech, and, um, sorry, that, we'll say that one. Um, speech, he says that, um, the, he says, let your words, um, your speech be gracious, be uh, uh, seasoned with salt, which means kind of lively. It doesn't mean you have to be like, you know, like the life of the party, because, you know, I'm an introvert. I don't, I'm not the life of the party. But it just means don't be um, bored when you talk about the spiritual life. Uh, my professor always says, whenever you talk about God or you share God's word, the worst thing you can do is bore people with the word of God. Don't bore people with the word of God. And so uh, that, that, that's uh, salty, just meaning when we talk about Jesus, let it be like something that's exciting for us. And then uh, finally, ready. Ready to, uh, to really speak and to let people know who Jesus is. Now, in closing, um, I wanted to show this video because uh, it really struck me. Um, there's this movie called Darkest Hour, which just came out, uh, and I guess it won an Academy Award for the acting. And uh, it talks about uh, leadership, which I really love. I always love leadership, movies about leadership, especially in very difficult circumstances. And Winston Churchill, I've come to really appreciate his leadership. Like, he's become like my next to Abraham Lincoln, he's becoming like, I'm learning more and more about him. Um, but this is actually when, uh, just to give you some background, um, sorry, history here, uh, Chamberlain, who was the, the pr prime minister before the war, he was deposed because uh, he left the country in shambles. And so they were saying, okay, Hitler is beginning to, Hitler has just invaded um, Poland. And uh, so Hitler is starting to move forward, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, he, 
He took over Poland. He's coming towards France. We hope France will fight, and France, of course, didn't fight. Um, and so Hitler's moving forward, and uh, so the whole country is like, okay, we should, we should make a treaty right away with Hitler so that he won't destroy us because our country is in shambles. We're so small, and this, this, this war machine is just moving forward like crazy, and we need to make a treaty before he just completely obliterates England. And um, so they said, let's, let's, you know, who's going to be our new prime minister? And they said, well, let's get Winston Churchill. Now, nobody actually liked Winston Churchill at that time because he was uh, considered a huge political gamble. Uh, even the king despised Winston Churchill because Churchill was very um, frank. <laughs> he just said a lot of stuff that was kind of not offensive, but very honest. And people, for, for British people or English people, that was very improper to do that. And so he would like insult you know, the king and things like that, or just speak his mind. And uh, the only reason why they, they brought him on was because they figured he was the one that both parties could kind of agree on and they were really desperate to say, we need something, we can't get involved in this huge political argument. We have to have a, a prime minister. And so let's get the guy who can at least have support from both parties. And so he ends up being brought in and nobody wants him at all. Even the king just like absolutely doesn't even want to meet with him. And yet, Churchill becomes the person who literally saved the free world as we know it. I mean, if England gave up at that time, all of Europe would be uh, ruled by Germany because England was the only one that stood up against Germany at that time. And everybody told Churchill, just give in. We don't want our land to be destroyed. And Churchill gave like the speech of his life. Now, this next clip is before he was elected. And it's interesting what his wife actually says to him. So let's go ahead and let's play it. I love that line. That line, when I, when I watched the movie, that really struck me. I want others to love and respect you the way that I do. And it's like, for her, she says, this is, this is really the heart of a wife who truly loves her husband. To say, I want um, everyone to know how wonderful 
and, 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 and how, how beautiful you are. Even though everyone else around says, you know, stupid, you know, not fit, unworthy. But the heart of the wife says, what I want is for everyone to know like how great you are. And I look at this and I feel like this is like the bride of Christ. This is like us. And you know, the world looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, uh, it's nothing. Uh, Christianity is nothing. Uh, Christians are just judgmental and, and blah, 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 and all these things. But our desire in all these things is to say, I want the world to love and respect Jesus in the way I do. In all my actions, in all my words, with every opportunity, I want the world to see Jesus in the way that I see Jesus, to know why I love Jesus so much, to know why I would give everything up for Jesus, why I would do anything for him. This is our heart. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. And we know that, hey, being a Christian, sharing the gospel, walking worthy of him, uh, uh, living out this completeness in Christ, it is not easy. It is not easy. But, but our heart is, we do this because we say, we love Jesus. And the world, they just need to know him. If they knew how great and how wonderful Jesus really is, what he really did for this world, I think they would love him just like me, just like we do here. And so the, as we think about the gospels, we think about Easter coming, as we think about the resurrection, as we have opportunities to talk with people about, hey, I'm going to church because we're having a special prayer night, we're, having a, we're, we're gonna be having a baptism, that we can talk about Jesus in a way that says, I'm so excited about Jesus, and I, I, I really, all I want is for people to, to know him and love him uh, in the way that I do, in the way that we do, why we, why we would do this for him. All right, so let's go ahead and let's, let's spend some time in prayer, quietness before the Lord.